0: Preface of Transformed or the History of a River Thief Briefly Told by Jerry Macaulay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Transformed or the History of a River Thief Briefly Told by Jerry Macaulay. Preface This little narrative is presented to the public with the single desire to magnify the grace of God. It is to show His mighty power in raising a soul dead in sin. And past all human hope of resurrection to spiritual life. It is given with few and trifling exceptions, as it fell from the lips of the transformed, and is condensed from a mass of strikingly interesting incidents which might have made a far more imposing volume. The design, however, has been to make a book sufficiently small and inexpensive to be freely circulated, that it may go out as a message of encouragement to those who have no hope for themselves, by reason of sin, and to Christians whose faith is often too weak to take hold of men, and women so utterly cast down and bound by Satan. My own part of the work, though small, has been a sincere pleasure. As I have put the story into shape for the press, I have been led to admire the grace of God as manifested to this untaught and wicked man, and to recall the words of Jesus. Yea, have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. I have been taught, while preparing this simple biography, and during a three years' acquaintance with its subject, deep and sweet lessons of faith in a work with the outcast and fallen, both men and women. No erring fellow-creature has sunk so low in groveling vice, but that, now I believe, however my faith was formerly staggered, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. And this is a lesson of priceless value to the Christian worker. Christ came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And it may be said of the gospel-hardened, outwardly respectable sinners in these days, as our Lord said of the chief priests and Pharisees of His own time, the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. It is my earnest prayer that the mission of this little volume may be one of gospel love and power, winning many a wretched, hopeless wanderer to the knowledge of the blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, whose blood can make the foulest clean, and who alone is able to call a soul out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mrs. Helen E. Brown, New York, December 7, 1875. End of Preface. Chapter 1. Childhood and Youth Our young life had dark beginning, helpless and alone we lay, knowing only sin and sorrow till the Savior passed that way. I do not attempt this record of my life from any feeling of vainglory or any craving for notoriety, neither is it because I have had a remarkable history. I have been a great sinner and have found Jesus a great Savior, and this is why I would tell my story, that others may be led to adore and seek the blessed friend who saved and has thus far kept me by his grace. I was born in Ireland, our family broken up by sin, for my father was a counterfeiter and left home to escape the law before I knew him. I was placed at a very early age in the family of my grandmother, who was a devout Romanist. My first recollections of her are of her counting her beads and kissing the floor for penance. I would take the opportunity while she was prostrated upon her face to throw things at her head in my mischievous play, and when she rose from her knees, it was to curse and swear at me, At such times I can distinctly remember thinking, though I could not have formed the thoughts into words, what sort of religion is this that requires such foolish worship and allows such sinful ways? I can trace my infidelity to Rome to just these incidents. I was never taught or sent to school, but left to have my own way, to roam about in idleness doing mischievous continually, and suffering from the cruel and harsh treatment of those who had the care of me at the age of thirteen i was sent to this country to the care of a married sister in new york city here i ran errands in the family and assisted my brother-in-law in his business and soon by the practice of little tricks became well used to dishonesty and was as great a rogue as one of my years could be after a while i felt i could live by my own wits and left my sister's home to take care of myself i took board in a family in water street where were two young men with whom I associated myself in business. I earned what I could and stole the rest, to supply my daily wants. We had a boat, by means of which we boarded vessels in the night, stealing whatever we could lay our hands on. Here I began my career as a river thief. In the daytime we went up into the city and sold our ill-gotten goods, and with the proceeds dressed up, and then spent our time, as long as our money lasted, in the vile dens of Water Street practicing all sorts of wickedness. Here I learned to be a prize-fighter, and by degrees, rapid degrees, rose through all the grades of vice and crime, till I became a terror and nuisance in the fourth ward. End of chapter 1 Chapter 2 of Going to Prison Oh, the darkness, how it thickens, like the brooding of despair, and my soul within me sickens. God in mercy, hear my prayer. I was only nineteen years of age when I was arrested for highway robbery, A child in years but a man in sin. I knew nothing of the criminal act which was charged to my account but the rum sellers and inhabitants of the fourth ward hated me for all my evil ways and were glad to get rid of me. So they swore the robbery on me and I couldn't help myself. I had no friends no advocate at court. It is a bad thing sinners not to have an advocate at court and without any just cause I was sentenced to 15 years in state prison. I burned with vengeance but what could I do? I was handcuffed and sent in the cars to Sing Sing. That ride was the saddest hour of my life. I looked back on my whole past course, at all my hardships, my misery and sins, and gladly I would have thrown myself out before the advancing train and ended my life. It was not sorrow for sin that possessed me, but a heavy weight seemed to press me down when I thought of the punishment I had got to suffer for my wrongdoings and an indignant, revengeful feeling for the injustice of my sentence. Fifteen years of hard labor to prison to look forward to, and all for a crime I was as innocent of as the babe unborn. I knew I had done enough to condemn me, if it were known. But others, as bad as I, were at liberty, and I was suffering the penalty for one who was sent at that hour roaming at will, glorying in his lucky escape from punishment and caring nothing for the unhappy dog who was bearing it in his deed. How my heart swelled with rage and then sank like lead, as I thought of my helplessness in the hands of the law, without a friend in the world. I concluded, however, before I reached the end of that short journey, that my best way was to be obedient to the prison rules, do the best I could under the circumstances and trust that somebody would be raised up to help me. When I arrived at the prison, I shall never forget it. The first thing that attracted my attention was the sentence over the door. The way of the transgressors is hard. Though I could not read very well, I managed to spell that out. It was a familiar sentence, which I had heard a great many times. All thieves and wicked people know it well, and they know, too, that it is out of the Bible. It is a well-worn proverb in all the haunts of vice, and one confirmed by daily experience. And how strange it is that, Knowing so well that the way is hard, the transgressors will go still in it. But God was more merciful to me than man. His pure eyes had seen all my sin, and yet he pitied and loved me, and stretched out his hand to save me. And his wonderful way of doing it was to shut me up in a cell within those heavy stone walls. There is many a one beside me who will have cause to thank God for ever and ever that he was shut up in a prison. End of chapter 2 CHAPTER THREE OF THE LOST SHEEP FOUND There were ninety-nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills, away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. I was put to the carpet-weaving business, and for two years not a word could be said against me. All the keepers and guards spoke well of me. I minded my work, and was quiet and orderly. I used to say my prayer, the Lord's Prayer every day from a feeling that it was right to say it, that in some way or other it would do me good. I tried to learn to read and write, and improve very much, more especially in reading. Then I got cheap novels and read, to pass away the time. I read many and many of them. It was all the recreation I had, all diverted my mind from my dreary surroundings. I was supplied with them constantly, and in consequence my head was filled with low and wicked thoughts. I took a fancy, from some form of the remarkable stories I read, that I might, by some good fortune, by and by, effect my escape from the prison, and then my heart would fill up with murderous intentions toward the man who put me in. After this I was sick, and suffered a good deal for two or three years, and became, at times, uneasy and intractable. Then I had to suffer severe punishment, but punishment never did me a particle of good, It only made me harder and harder. I had been in the prison four or five years, when, one Sunday morning, I went with the rest of the service in the chapel. I was moody and miserable. As I took my seat, I raised my eyes carelessly to the platform, and who should I see there beside the chaplain but a man named Orville Gardner, who had been for years a confederate in sin. Awful Gardner was the name by which I had always known him. Since my imprisonment, He had been converted, and was filled with desire to come to the prison, that he might tell the glad story to the prisoners. I had not heard he was coming, and could not have been more surprised if an angel had come down from heaven. I knew him at the first glance, although he was so greatly changed from his old rough dress and appearance. After the first look I began to question in my mind if it was he after all, and thought I must be mistaken, but the moment he spoke I was sure and my attention was held fast. He said he did not feel that he belonged on the platform where the ministers of God and good men stood to preach the gospels to the prisoners. He was not worthy of such a place. So he came down and stood on the floor in front of the desk, that he might be among the men. He told them it was only a little while since he had taken off the stripes which they were then wearing and while he was talking his tears fairly ran down out of his eyes. Then he knelt down and prayed and sobbed and cried till I do not believe there was a dry eye in the whole crowd. Tears filled my eyes, and I raised my hands slowly to wipe them off, for I was ashamed to have my companions, or the guard see me weep, but how I wished I was alone, or that it was dark that I might give way to my feelings unobserved. I knew this man was no hypocrite, We had been associated in many a dark deed and sinful pleasure. I had heard oaths and curses, violent angry words from his mouth, and I knew he could not talk as he did then unless some great wonderful change had come to him. I devoured every word that fell from his lips, though I could not understand half I heard. One sentence, however, impressed me deeply, which, he said, was a verse from the Bible. The Bible? I knew there was such a book that people pretended it was a message from God, but I had never cared for it or read a word in it. But now God's time had come, and he was going to show me the treasures that were hidden in that precious book. End of chapter 3 Chapter 4 Searching for the Truth This is the field where hidden lies the pearl of price unknown, the merchant is divinely wise, who makes the pearl his own. I went back to my cell, how dreary is Sunday in prison, After the morning service in the chapel, the prisoners are marched back to their cells, taking their plate of dinner with them as they pass the dining hall, and the rest of the day is spent in solitude. Oh, those long, dismal hours! I had generally contrived to have a novel on hand, but that day I had none. What I had heard was ringing in my ears, and the thought possessed me to find the verse which had so struck me. Every prison cell is supplied with a Bible but, alas, few of them are used. Mine I had never touched since the day I entered my narrow apartment and laid it away in the ventilator. I took it down, beat the dust from it, and opened it, but where to turn to find the words I wanted I knew not. There was nothing to do but begin at the beginning and read it till I came to them. On and on I read. How interested I grew. It seemed better than any novel I had ever read, and I could scarcely leave it to go to sleep. I became so fascinated that from that day on it was my greatest delight. I was glad when I was released from work that I might get hold of my Bible. And night after night, when daylight was gone, I stood up by my grated door to read by the dim light which came from the corridor. I had supposed it to be a dry, dead thing, a book only fit for priests and saints. But now, whenever I could get a chance to communicate with my mates in the workshop, i told him that it was a splendid thing that bible i never found that verse i had forgotten it in my new interest in the book but i had found a good many verses that made me stop and think at last i came to one timothy fourth chapter which begins in this way now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils Speaking Lies in Hypocrisy Having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. I threw down the book and kicked it about my cell. The vile heretics I cried. There's their lies. I always heard the old book was a pack of lies. That's the way they hold us Catholics up. Something seemed to whisper to me. Go get a Catholic Bible, and then you can prove this to be false. I couldn't get rid of the thought. I took my first chance to go to the library and ask for a Catholic Bible. They looked at me pretty sharp, as though they would like to understand what I was driving at. But they gave me what I wanted, and I took it to my cell. Eagerly, I turned to that chapter. There they were, the very same words, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. But there were notes in the margin, which boxed it up so that my suspicions were at once aroused. I said, It surely is the word of God, and they are trying to get out of it. I turned to various parts to Kings, Isaiah, and other books, and I found that the words in both were almost the same, the meaning was the same always, and I was in despair. Then I read the whole book through again, and liked it better the second time than I did the first. The book of Revelation particularly astonished me. I tried to believe, but I could not understand it. End of chapter 4 Chapter 5 Behold, he prayeth, I cannot in my sore dismay e'en lift my eyes to thee, but trembling bow, dear Lord, and want till thou shalt speak for me. I was resting one night from reading, walking up and down and thinking what a change religion had made in Gardiner. When I began to have a burning desire to have the same, I could not get rid of it. But what could I do? Something within me said, Pray. I couldn't frame a prayer. The voice said, Don't you remember the prayer of the publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner? I thought of my own religion, the Roman Catholic faith, in which I had been brought up, and I asked, Why can't I be good in that? But that will not save me as Gardner's does him, I thought. It does not keep me free from my sins. There was a struggle in my mind. If I sent for the priest, I said to myself, he will tell me I must do penance, say some prayers and do something for mortification and such as that. If I ask the chaplain, he will tell me to be sorry for my sins and cry to God for forgiveness. Both can't be right. The voice within said, Go to God, he will tell you what is right. What a struggle I went through. I knew I ought to pray. But if there had been 10,000 people there, I couldn't have been more ashamed to do it than I was there all alone. I felt myself blushing. Every sin stared me in the face. I recollected that whosoever in the Bible, that means you, said the inward voice. But I'm so wicked, I urged, everything but a murder, and that many a time in my will. The struggle did not seem all my own. It was as if God was fighting the devil for me. To every thought that came up, there came a verse of the scripture. I fell on my knees and was so ashamed, I jumped up again. I fell on my knees again and cried out for help. And then, as ashamed as before, I rose again. I put it off for that time and went to bed. This conflict went on for three or four weeks. It was fearful. I wonder now at the long-suffering mercy of my God. I wonder that the Holy Spirit was not grieved to depart from me forever but at last the Lord sent a softness and tenderness into my soul, and I shed many tears. Then I cried unto the Lord and began to read the Bible on my knees. The Sunday services seemed to me no good. They were dry and dead to me. Once in a while a man full of the Holy Ghost preached for us, and at such times I got a little help. About that date, Miss D. began to visit the prison, and I was sent for one day to meet her in the library. This young lady had learned that I was seeking the Savior and had asked to see me. She talked with me and then knelt down to pray. I felt ashamed, but I knelt beside her. I looked through my fingers and watched her. I saw her tears fall, and all I cannot describe fell on me. It seemed dreadful to me, the prayer of that holy woman. It made my sins rise up till they looked to me as if they rose clean up to the throne of God, and it appeared to me as if they troubled God. They rose up so high what should i do oh what can a poor sinner do when there is nothing between him and god but a life of dark terrible sin end of chapter five chapter six the morning breaketh i heard the voice of jesus say come unto me and rest lay down thou weary one lay down thy head upon my breast that night i fell on my knees on the hard stone floor of my cell resolved to stay there, whatever might happen, till I found forgiveness. I was desperate. I felt just like the words of the hymn. Perhaps he will admit my plea. Perhaps he will hear my prayer. But if I perish, I will pray, and perish only there. I prayed, and then I stopped. I prayed again, and stopped. But still I continued kneeling. My knees were rooted to those cold stones. My eyes were closed, and my hands tightly clasped and I was determined I would stay so till morning, till I was called to my work, and then said I to myself, If I get no relief, I will never, never pray again. I felt that I might die, but I didn't care for that. All at once it seemed as if something supernatural was in my room. I was afraid to open my eyes. I was in agony, and the sweat rolled off my face in great drops. Oh, how I longed for God's mercy! Just then, in the very height of my distress— it seemed as if a hand was laid upon my head, and these words came to me. My son, thy sins, which are many, are forgiven. I do not know if I heard a voice, yet the words were distinctly spoken. Oh, the precious Christ! How plainly I saw him, lifted on the cross for my sins. What a thrill went through me. I jumped from my knees. I paced up and down my cell. A heavenly light seemed to fill it, a softness in a perfume like the fragrance of sweetest flowers. I did not know if I was living or not. I clapped my hands and shouted, Praise God! Praise God! One of the guards was passing along the corridor and called out, What's the matter? I found Christ, I answered. My sins are all forgiven. Glory to God! He took out a paper from his pocket and wrote the number of my cell and threatened to report me in the morning. I didn't care for that. My soul was all taken up with my great joy. But the next morning nothing happened to me, and I think the Lord made him forget it. What a night that was! I shall surely never forget the time when the Lord appeared as my gracious Deliverer from sin. From that time life was all new to me. Work was nothing, hard fare nothing, scowls and harsh words nothing. I was happy, for Jesus was my friend. My sins were washed away, and my heart was full of love and thanksgiving. I hated every sinful way. I had formerly smoked, but something within now said it was wrong, and I gave it up. And the Lord began to use me in the prison among my fellow convicts. A great work was commenced there, and spread from cell to cell. The prisoners began to read their Bibles, to call upon God, and to praise the name of Jesus. End of chapter 6 Chapter 7 Work in the prison Then I will tell to my sinners round, what a dear savior i have found i'll point to thy redeeming blood and say behold the way to god jack dare was the first man i began to pray for there was a revolt in the prison about that time and he was one of the leaders this revolt occurred some time before my conversion but i had no hand in it jack was in the workshop with me and was quite a favorite the convicts often paired off in friendships and he and i went together if either of us had any little luxury we shared it with the other as children would do. And when I got salvation, I wanted to share that with him. I approached him on several occasions with the subject, but he repulsed me with sneers. He seemed to think I was playing a bold game to get out of prison, but he learned at last that I was in earnest. He found me several times weeping and pouring over my Bible. Once he lifted his hand to strike me and even spit at me. But when I told him that I had no resentment and could stand it for Jesus' sake, he was touched. That astonished him. I said nothing more for a week, and he seemed to be getting worse all the time, but I felt sure the Spirit of God was striving with him. I kept on praying with strong, crying tears, and I knew God would save him. One day he told me he had been praying, but it seemed dreadful to him to pray. I knew all about that from my own experience. Not long after this, as he came out of his cell one morning to go to work, I caught sight of his face, and it was all lit up. He was at the head of the column, and I near the foot. He just glanced at me with a smile, and gave an upward turn of his eye to heaven, and then I knew it was all right with him. I could scarcely keep from shouting. The first one he told the good news to was the keeper. Jack, said he, I'm glad you've got religion. It was not that he cared for religion, but he was afraid of Jack. He was such a desperate character, and now he knew he would have no more trouble with him. All the time I had to work for Christ was about half an hour each day, and I improved it. This was when the regular keeper was relieved, and we were allowed then to talk. I had my men all picked out, and I went from one to the other, saying the few earnest words I could say. Several of these were converted. One or two wandered away when they left the prison, having no Christian friend to look after them. Since that time they have come into the helping hand, and have been sweetly restored, About two years I went on thus. My faith was so simple, I felt the Lord would give me anything reasonable I might ask. And I never had a doubt until after I came out of prison and mingled with Christians and their wavering unstable half-and-half faith staggered me. My cell seemed to me all that time like heaven, and I cared very little whether I came out of it or not. The love of Christ was so abounding it drowned every trouble. No one could insult me. If my comrades abused me, I felt that I could pray for and forgive them. After this, I was led to pray for my liberty. At first, I felt that the desire to be set free was of the devil. But I asked the Lord about it, and he gave me the reassurance that my desire should be granted. And it was. I received a pardon from the governor after having served about half my time, seven years and six months. End of chapter 7